Colossians 3. So two weeks ago uh, was when the last time we were in the book of Colossians. And remember, we talked about um, things to put off or things to put to death. We talked from verses 5 through verse 11 a couple weeks ago. And, and the things that we were to put off would be, uh, we were to put off uh, sexual sin and, and uh, sins uh, against one another. And, and we, we talked about these different things a couple weeks ago. And so we come to this text of Scripture in, in, in chapter 3, verse 12, and it tells us um, what to put on. And so first of all, it said, what, what should we not have on? What should we take off? And Paul, in his infinite wisdom, knew that we couldn't remain naked forever, so he told us to put some things on. And so what did he tell us to put on? It says in verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these... Put on love, which binds together everything, or binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so today we're talking about what we need to put on. We're talking about what, the, what should be the attire of the Christian. And so there's going to be four points this morning uh, in, in our outline, and I'll give those to you as we go through it. But uh, just so you know, heads up, we're going to spend most of our uh, more time on point number two than at other points. And so as, as you're budgeting times, you're, you're thinking through stuff, you understand that's where we're going today. But you know, who you are determines whether or not your, appro- your attire is appropriate. A police officer has a uniform. A judge wears a robe and a a medical doctor wears a stethoscope and a lab coat. Now, any one of us can put a badge on or a robe or a stethoscope and a lab coat, but unless we really have become a police officer, judge, or an MD, the clothes do not fit. Think about it. How would your workplace respond if, if every, and you're not a doctor assuming, every day you show up to your workplace wearing scrubs and a stethoscope around your neck? I mean, how would they respond to that after a while? They would say, okay, you know, this isn't wear your pajamas to work day, okay? <laughs> you know, why, why, why are you doing this, right? There would be some confusion about that, right? But for those of you who know uh, medical doctors, they show up to work every day, most of them, in scrubs or, or, or things, and no one says, says anything about it. Why? What's the difference? Well, who they are determines whether or not the attire is appropriate. And so... Today, if, if I was going to give you the big idea of the text, if I was going to give you, okay, this is the thought of the text, this is what I would give you for Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Paul is writing, and based on the believer's new identity that we talked about in chapter 3, verse 1, based on the believer's new identity, unity with other believers should be of utmost importance. And Paul uses the metaphor of putting clothing on to help us understand how we are to interact with each other. And so today, what I want us to focus on today as we go through this text, and I believe this is what Paul's point was, is he says, you are a Christian, you are a new person, you have a new identity, you're changed, and so therefore, your identity should determine what you put on, and you should put things on based on who you are in Christ. And so point number one is simply this, the Christian identity. Point number one, the Christian identity. In verse 12, he reminds us that we, as believers, are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. 
Now, that could seem a little bit uh, of, of arrogant when we talk about being chosen and holy. But the fact of the matter is these are not things that we came up with. These are things that based on our unity with Christ or our union with Christ. Remember, we talked about that theological concept and that truth of our union with Christ. And based on being a new person in Christ, Christ has called us holy and chosen and beloved. Remember, back in chapter 1 and verse 22, that's where he introduced this idea of us being holy. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this point here because I don't think that this is the emphasis of the text. But I do want to say this, is that it is very important that we understand who we are in Christ. Because who we are in Christ determines how we live and what, what actions we should take and how we interact with one another. You see, there's a whole, there's a whole uh, philosophy that tells us how we are to interact with one another. And the idea is, uh, uh, of, is whatever is best for you and your situation, that's how you act and interact with each other. Or there's a sense of selfishness that is very innate in all of us. And that is oftentimes what, what kind of overrides our actions with each other. Now, one of the things I pray for our church the most about, I pray for my own soul and I pray for our church, is I pray for a spirit of unity. We simply need to be a church that gets along because there is no greater testimony of God's grace and enabling, enablement when sinners can get along. There's a book that I recommend all uh, couples getting married, and really it's good for even if you've been married for a while. Dave Harvey wrote a book called When Sinners Say I Do. It's a great book about marriage. It's a great book about, about um, understanding that it, this is a relationship that's being forged by two sinners coming together, becoming one flesh. And if you think about this for a second, you think about taking two people who are set in their ways because they're older and they, they've, they've already determined their worldview and they have innate sin natures and, and they have selfishness and they have the things that they want to do. And then God says, I am going to put them together and make them one flesh and they are going going to be one. That is, if, if God's not in that, that's a recipe for disaster. That two people get along. I mean, think about it even in the terms of like college life and dorm life. I mean, by the end of the, the, the semester, most roommates are ready to be gone. I traveled for uh, uh, my school, my, uh, my college for a couple of years, and I told the team that I was leading, there was five of us on the team, and we were going to live together for the whole summer. And I told them, I said, okay, by the end of the summer, we're either going to love each other or we're going to hate each other. <laughs> it's going to be one of the two, right? You see, it, getting along is difficult. Getting along isn't natural. And so what, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, you need to put things on that will enable unity. So when I pray for a memorial, I pray that God gives us a spirit of unity and love for one another. And so this idea of our identity based on being uh, who we are in Christ, we're chosen, we're holy, we're loved. All of these words talk about what God has done for us. And it's important that, that it is who we are that determines our ability to follow the commands. And so here's a crucial point in understanding this. This is the reason why I think he brings this up. And again, I don't want to go through all the idea of chosen and, and, and it's true that God elects people and before the foundations of the earth, Ephesians chapter 1. And so that's a theological truth that's there. We see it here. But the point of the text isn't to go deep into that. So I'm not going to go into that. It is true that we're holy in, in God's sight because of Christ. It is true that we're loved. But 
It's those, that fact about us that makes us able to obey the command. So a crucial point in this text is this, that gospel imperatives are possible precisely because of gospel grace. And so he sets us up here and he says here, this is who you are. This is who you are in Christ. Then he gives the commands. He gives the command. He says, okay, put on this. Here's what you need to do. And here's how the only way you can do this as God's chosen, as God's holy, or a holy person whom God has made holy, or as beloved of Christ. And so the only way that you can do what we're going to talk about right here is in gospel grace. And so the important point here is gospel imperatives or the commands that we're going to see here about what to put on is only possible precisely because of gospel grace. Only because of the grace that we receive from God can we be obedient to this text. And if you try to put on kindness and you try to put on patience and you try to put on gentleness and all these things that we're going to talk about here in just a minute, you try to do that outside the power of Christ, it's going to be a very frustrating time for you. You could do it for a little while maybe, but there will be always be a selfish motivation I mean, how many times do we, when a problem presents itself or interpersonal conflict, do we shy away from it because we just rather not deal with it? That's not gospel work. Gospel work is forbearing and forgiving one another, as we're going to see in a few minutes here, and working towards a solution and loving each other through the process. See, that's the difference between, of the church and other organizations, is that in the church, we work through difficulties and we love one another. And one of the things I love about the church is that we have people from all different backgrounds. You look at other groups and other uh, uh, clubs and things like that, there's usually a common denominator that brings people together, that brings them together. They have these common interests and things. And that's what they focus around. Well, here, we don't have that. What we have is we have the common person of Jesus, and that's it. Because we have people from different social backgrounds here. We have people from different ethnic backgrounds. We have people that have different income brackets. And we have people that have different uh, uh, um, uh, uh, traditions that they've come from. And all these different things. We have people coming from all walks of life in this thing called the church. And yet, in the church... There can be perfect harmony, as we saw in verse 14. How is that possible? It's possible because of Christ. It's possible because that's what we, ra- we rally around. And so we don't rally around a style of music. We don't rally around a particular ministry. We don't rally around any type of other identity. I don't want any other identity of our church rather than Jesus of Nazareth. That is it. And so that's our point. Because when we rally around Jesus, that brings and that fosters unity in our, in, our, in our congregation. And so that's the thing that I pray for. So the gospel identity here is so important of being chosen holy and beloved because that's a working of God in our life. And it shows who we are. And so then when the attire that we tried to put on here, we're, we're commanded to put on here, it makes sense. Instead of it being a truck driver putting on scrubs going to work, it's rather a doctor putting on scrubs to go to work. The attire fits the vocation. And so when we see that word beloved, I just want to make this one point here before I move on to point number two, is that... The idea, the way that that word is written, it has the idea of that that person became loved at one point in time, and those effects of that love are continuing through the present and into the future. And it's written in a, in a passive voice, and so the idea is that that action was put upon them. It wasn't anything that they've done. And so I wanted to break that word down just for a second, because I think that that is, when you see that word broken down there, you see the context of our identity, is that it is God who's working in you, it is God who's working in me, and it's something that he has done, and it will continue through all eternity. 
So the Christian identity. Number two, if you're taking notes, is the Christian wardrobe. The Christian identity is number one. Number two is the Christian wardrobe. In verse 12 it says these are the things that we need to put on. Compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. And I don't want to go through big long explanations of each one of those, but I do want to make a few points about these. Compassion has the idea of pity or tenderness towards the suffering and the hurting. And so what I want us to do as we go through these things, I want us to kind of be thinking through our lives and I want us to see, is this something that is evident in my life? Is, are these things that I am consciously putting on? Because this is a, com- a command that we are told to do. And so, are you compassionate? Now, some of you say, well, I'm just not naturally merciful. You know, I'm the same way. In, 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 how many of you have ever taken those spiritual gifts tests? Anyone ever do that? Okay, okay, if you have you put your hands on. Yeah, I, 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 I take some of those sometimes, and I have my own theories about that and the whole spiritual gifts things and all that, but I'll save that for another time. But anyway, whenever I get my, my report of my giftedness, number one is administration. And number two is preaching or, or proclamation. So I'm like, yes, okay. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, okay? Last on the list, mercy. <laughs> My wife will agree. <laughs> so I'm kind of one of those people that, that it's hard for me. Like if I, maybe, maybe you're this way too, but if there's something that is common sense and people aren't doing it, it's hard to be patient with for me. That's really difficult for me. It's kind of like, come on, don't you get this? Am I the only one? Because you're all looking at me like you're, you're a bunch of. You're all looking at me like I know how to pray for you, Jeremy. <laughs> you know, so mercy is not something that comes naturally to me. Okay, in a lot of ways, but this is something that in Christ, compassion needs to rule our lives. Are you aware of other people's hurting needs? See, I think that's the big issue. A lot of times is that we're not even aware of other people and what they're going through. See, we need to make ourselves aware of other people. And how do we do that? We get to know them. We spend time with them. We love on them. You see, that's a Christian community. And a Christian community is a community that is very compassionate towards one another and has this idea of looking at other people. Maybe they're going through a difficult time and we say, how can I help? How can I help this situation? What can I do? And even if I don't have the solution right here where I'm the one that can physically meet this need, maybe I can help find someone else who can because you getting your need met is very important to me and you getting the things done in your life that you need happen done in your life, that's important to me. And if I can't because I'm providentially hindered and I can't meet that need, and that's true, and it happens a lot. But you can say, but how can I help find someone that meets that need? Maybe I can call someone. Maybe I can say, hey, listen, are you aware of this need in so-and-so's life? And how can we help them with it? That's compassion. And we need that in our church. Because there's a lot of people that are hurting. There's a lot of people that, that they don't know how to express their hurts and their, and their desires and their needs in their lives. There's a lot of people that maybe they're alone and they don't know who to talk to. They don't know how to communicate things. You see, there's a lot of people that they're used to being the ones who help all the time. And then when the time comes for them to need help, they have no clue how to ask for help. And that's where as a church, we need to surround people like that. And we need to say, hey, how can we help you through this? And I see a need here. Can I help you through this? Or can I meet this need? See, that's a compassionate heart. And we are to put that on. That is, gonna be, that is commanded to us to physically or, or to consciously, that's what I'm looking for, consciously try to put on compassion. So the question comes, when was the last time you thought, am I compassionate enough? 
That's a question we should ask ourselves in response to this text. Am I compassionate enough? Some of you are very gifted in this. I've seen this over and over again. I've seen you display compassion to me personally or to my my wife or to my daughter. and, And I'm very thankful for that. And so I commend you who do that. And I know and I've seen it here in our congregation. I thank you for that. I think others of us need to, need to work on that. And so that's the first thing the, in the Christian wardrobe. He says, put on compassion. He has this idea of kindness here. He talks to this, this sweet disposition. can be translated goodness or generosity. And, and it's listed as a fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians. So this idea of kindness. Are we kind towards one another? Do we have, could that be characteristic of us? If we are choosing what to wear for the day and we are choosing what to put on, this is one of those things that we must put on. He goes through and he talks about humility there. Humility is the understanding of our true self and position in the light of a holy God. He says, put this on. You know, humility is not an easy thing. Because we can, we can act humble and really be proud. We can actually be proud of our humility. Okay? Humility is a very difficult thing. I, my, the last message I preached at Camp Fairwood during junior high week, I, I changed at the last minute. I, I, I was going to preach one message. I ended up preaching a different message because I just really felt in talking with the kids throughout the week that they could, uh, the second message would be better for them. And it was about pride and humility. And uh, so I, 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 I preached um, as hard as I could and with as much passion, as much energy as I could. And, and I think God was, was merciful and used that to help some of the kids. But it was, it was kind of funny to me because then the camp director got up afterwards and, you know, he made a couple comments. He's like, it was a great message on, on humility and things. And I think we need to show our appreciation to Pastor Jeremy. So everyone clap. <laughs> and I'm like, well, there's the first test, I guess. <laughs> I just preach on humility and, and you're asking people to clap for me. Humility is a tough thing because you ever, you ever realize that how we can become proud about the stupidest things? We can be proud about uh, uh, the way we present ourselves or the, or the knowledge that we have. How many of us have ever said something so that it wasn't adding to the conversation? It, the only thing that was adding to the conversation is, you all know now that I know about this. Anyone been there? Or, or am I the only one again? <laughs> yeah. Show some mercy towards me and agree. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, you know, we could be proud about what we know. We could be proud about our children. Proud about our children. We see all the other little devils running around and there's our child memorizing the New Testament. <laughs> <laughs> Greek is next week. <laughs> you know. We can be proud about our job, our income level, our car. We can be proud about anything, right? Put on humility. If this church is going to be one, we don't have room for pride about vocations and incomes and children and all those other things. We don't have room for that. We need to put on humility and serve one another. What does he go on? There's a fourth thing there. He talks about this idea of meekness. So could also in some translations, they translate gentleness. 
Consideration for the rights and feelings of others. It's, you've heard this probably defined as strength under control before. This idea of, you know, meekness is not weakness. And they always point back to Moses because Moses is considered a meek man. And, and Moses was not a wimp. I mean, Moses was a strong man. But yet he was, he used that and he kept it under control. For the most part, he was human. I mean, there were times where he, he lost it and he sinned and God judged him for it and, and all those things. And uh, the example that comes to mind, of course, when he hit the rock when he shouldn't have. But in the most part, he was a very meek man. This is also a fruit of the Spirit. Are we characterized by meekness? Are we characterized by someone who is strong in our faith and strong who we are, but yet we don't beat up other people and yet we're very gentle with other people? We're kind to other people. Then the last one there is patience. This is probably very difficult. You, the old saying is never pray for patience, right? You know, because um, then God will bring things in your life. You know, what a superstitious approach to God, <laughs> you know. Um, patience. Self-restraint that enables us to bear injury and insult. This is an attribute of God according to Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Again, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And so we have these different things that we're told to put on and things that we're supposed to work on. And as a church, we need to do this. We need, this is a command. We need to say, this is what we need to do. We need to be patient with one another and all this. And, and that's okay, but here's a theological truth I want to point out. Jesus is the greatest example of all of those. Think about that. Jesus showed compassion multiple times in his ministry. Remember when he was looking over Jerusalem. And what does it say? It says his heart was moved with compassion. Jesus of Nazareth, our God, our creator God, he's the one that had compassion on your soul. Jesus was kind. Jesus was the one that when the disciples were saying, no, kids, get away from here. Get away from here, you little rugrats. No, Jesus doesn't have time for you. He says, wait a minute, no, bring them to me. Jesus was very kind. Was Jesus humble? Man, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Talk about the humility of Christ who left the thrones of heaven and came down to the earth for us. Yeah, he defines humility. What about meekness, strength of the control? Absolutely, at any moment. At any moment, he could have just done whatever he wanted. And I would have been tempted to do that multiple times. I mean, you know, he, he showed his godly power multiple times by walking on the water and, and turning water into wine and things like that. Let me tell you, if I was Jesus, I wouldn't be walking on water. I'd be drowned in a lot of people, okay? Because I don't have the compassion that Jesus has. Jesus is a great example of all these things. He was meek. Even though he could do all these things, he was always submitted to the Father's will. We're told in Revelation that we live in the patience of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the ultimate example of all these things. So when we're commanded, when Paul tells us, he says, I want you to put these things on, he is commanding us simply to be like Christ. And if we're Christians, and if this is and our, our goal is to be like Christ, then this list should not just should not uh, uh, surprise us. This list should not um, uh, confuse us, or this list should not overwhelm us. Rather, we say in prayer for this: if we are going to obey this command, really, we could summarize this by saying, "Help me be like Christ." And so the question I have today is, is that an overarching and overwhelming desire of your life to be like Christ? 
Now, most of us as Christians, we would say, yeah, of course it is. Now, let's go to this list. Are you working on compassion? Are you working on kindness? Are you working on humility? Are you working on meekness? Are you working on patience? Are you working on these things? And the only way that you can work on this is through the power of Christ. We understand that. The Christian identity. This is all sub, uh, a sub-level of that heading of who we are in Christ. And so if we are not working on these things, if we are not saying, and saying trying to be compassionate towards others and kind and patient with one another, then we really are not working to be like Christ. And so as a church that we say that we want to be unified and we say we want to follow Christ, and I believe that. And I say it about my own life. When I come to a text like this, I say, maybe intellectually this is what I want to do, but practically am I doing this? And so these are the things that we need to put on. This is a Christian wardrobe. Let me point out a couple other things about this real quickly here. We can really categorize these things in, 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 in a couple different ways, but there's really three inward virtues here that deal with the whole entire of our lives. I want, you, I want you to see this for a second here. We have, it says, put on compassion or a heart of compassion. Interesting enough, uh, I think the King James translation calls it bowels of mercy. It talks about that deep feelings there about our feelings and our, our passions towards one another. So it's heart of compassion. This is how we view others and their circumstances. It says humility there is the is third one. This is our, how we view ourselves, our orientation towards self. And then it says patience in the last one there. And that's how we deal with difficult circumstances and the people involved. And so we really have this whole of life being, being talked about here in these three inward virtues about how we view others through compassion, how we view ourselves through humility, how we deal with everyday situations through patience. And so each of these inward virtues then is given an outward manifestation. So compassion then becomes kindness. So that's why it says put on compassion and then kindness comes out. Put on humility and what does that do? That acts in gentleness or meekness. And then patience, where's the outward manifestation of that? That's verse 13. And verse 13 is point number three. The Christian wardrobe practically applied. The Christian wardrobe practically applied. It says that we are to bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, we are to forgive one another. I ask the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And so we are to put up with one another. You know, one of the things that we just need to do in our church, and, and this is from, from day one I've said this, and, and I'm going to say this until the day I die, um, is that we just need to be a church that just puts up with each other. And I don't, I don't mean that crassly, but what I mean by that is there are going to be times where we offend each other. There are going to be times where we do things that aren't pleasant to one another. And it may, be un, it, it may not even be intentional. And probably for the most part it will be unintentional. But the fact of the matter is, is that we need to be a church that we, because we love one another, because we assume the best of one another, we can put up with a lot. We can bear with one another. And, and there's going to be times, where I know it has already happened, I'm sure, where I'm going to do something to offend one of you. And I would just plead with you. Just, just, just bear with me in this. And you can bring it to my attention and tell me about it. But, but just bear with me. And I'm going to bear with you. And, and that is part of the relationship is where we simply sometimes is we just put up with one another. And, and we understand that people approach things differently and they do things differently. And it's different than how I would do it. And it has a different outcome. And, and we think that our way is better. And, and, but at the same time, we just, we just got to put up with one another. That's unity. 
But then there's times where we have to forgive one another. There's times where we have to, to forgive each other because there's been a sin. See, buried with one another is not necessarily a sin, but it's just kind of a difference of opinion or a difference of the way we do things. Someone once said, we bear with silliness, but we forgive sin. We bear with silliness and the fact that it's a little, maybe it's a little different, something. But when it's a sin issue, that's something we need to forgive. And so these are two overarching ideas or concepts that is then it kind of put down in a practical way that how we as a church can be, can experience unity and interact with one another. It's interesting. It says that we need to forgive there. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. So what this means is that in the same way that Christ has forgiven us, and because of Christ's forgiveness, we need to forgive one another. And so we look to Christ as the model of forgiveness, and we look to Christ because of the fact that he has forgiven us. That should cause us to be quick and ready to forgive anybody who asked it. You know, a reference, if you're taking notes, you can write down is, is Luke 17. Luke 17, and I think it's verse 5. But it's in that text there, Jesus is answering that question about how many times to forgive somebody. And so Jesus tells a story. He says, you know, if a guy comes and he, uh, he repents and he says, forgive me, you forgive him. And if he does it again, and seven times he comes back and does the same thing, he says, you must forgive him. And so what I take from that text in Luke 17 is that we forgive people on the basis of their word. If someone asks you for forgiveness, we forgive them. Even if we, we don't sit there and wait and say, well, let me see if you really mean this. Let me see some fruits of, of repentance first. Now, there is time for that because that doesn't mean that all of, uh, th- there are consequences to sin. Well, you can forgive someone, but there's still consequences um, but the fact of the matter is we forgive people. We should be quick to forgive. And so that's the spirit of unity. So as we're looking at our church, are we willing to put up with one another? Are we willing to forgive one another? And so I think it's significant, though, in this text that Paul focuses on the individual who is to have patience rather than the one who created the problem. Did you notice that? Because Paul could have written it the other way. He could have said, hey, knock it off. Stop being such a jerk. Stop being so irritating. You know, why can't you be like your older brother? <laughs> or whatever the case is. God could have done that. But no, he dealt with the person who was receiving the irritation. The one who was to have patience. You see, the place to begin in any group uh, 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 where there's any tension in a group is with oneself rather than with others. If we're going to be a church, so we're, we're contributing to unity. It's not just about, okay, they need to do this. It's what do I need to do? Maybe I need to have a, a forbearing spirit and a forgiving spirit. Number four. Finally, as we conclude, the Christian wardrobe is then summarized. The Christian wardrobe is then summarized. In verse four, 14, it says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The NIV translates this in, in, a, in a probably more dogmatic way than it should be. Uh, they say, and over these things, so they take the metaphor of the clothing, and they say, you put on this, 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 and then over, the last piece to put over it is love. I think that's stretching the metaphor a little bit. Um, and when you look at uh, a lot of, most translations actually translate it in above instead of it being the 
um, the one that covers everything. It's the one that is the greatest thing that ties everything together. One person talked about it's kind of like the belt or whatever. Now, I'm not up on my fashion, as you probably have seen many times. Um, I am not up on my fashion and things like this. I don't know what accessories pull it all together or not. I'm just happy to have matching socks, okay? So um, I, I don't know all this, and I don't want to stretch the metaphor a little bit, you know, too much here. But... Um, here, this idea of love is overarching. It's the most important thing. Because it, it, it talks about if we have a spirit of love, we are going to forgive one another. If we have a spirit of love, we are going to bear with one another. And so in this text here, this is what he's saying. He's saying, above all, it says, please understand love. And remember, this is the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment according to Matthew 22 is love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second one is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. I could give you verse after verse after verse I have in my notes if you want them later on about how the love, we are to love one another over and over again in the scriptures. Do we see that phrase, love one another? And so my question to you this morning is, are you showing love to one another? I mean, the people in this room here, the people who make up our church, are you showing love to one another? Are you showing patience and are you forbearing and are you being kind and humility? All these things, this is what binds it together in perfect harmony. So, as I conclude, the point of this section is to illustrate what should be characteristic of us as Christians. So, are you loving? Do you show this love through a willingness to put up with one another? Do you show this love through a willingness to forgive one another? When there's interpersonal conflict, are you quick to just love on the other person and say, you know what? We're different. And let's embrace that diversity. And in Christ, I'm just going to love you. Or do we insist on our own way? So the application here is this. Do you work through conflict in love? Or do you tend to ignore it, ignore this conflict in hopes that it goes away? See, that's not unity. That's not love. That's just ignoring it. Do you bear with one another's weakness? Or do you insist on your own way? Do the people in your workplace or in your home see you as loving and as someone who attempts to live out these virtues? Now, let me say this. No one's going to be perfect. I fail in this all the time, and I'm sure you do too. But the fact of the matter is, because of our identity in Christ, we are to put these things on. This should be our goal. So tomorrow, when you go to work, are you putting on humility? Are you putting on kindness? Are you putting on gentleness? Are you putting on meekness? Are you putting on patience? Are you doing that in a spirit of love towards other people? When you go home and the kids haven't picked up the toys and you step on a Lego with no shoes or socks on, I knew that would get a visceral response. <laughs> Do you show love? Yeah, you may need to instruct the children to put their toys away and things like that. I'm not arguing that point. But how do you do that? Is it in love and patience, forbearance? See how this practically applies in so many areas of our lives. So this week, we're Christians. We have the identity of Christ. Let's dress like Christ this week.